Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And we've got a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. Uh, the group's closed, but just send me a request and I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. And my only rule in there is keep it positive. Uh, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It helps other new people find this podcast. And if you leave me a positive review on iTunes, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to movie theater chain of your choice. I think we're kind of holding steady right now at around 23 reviews. So once I get to 30, I'm going to draw a name. So leave one today. And with that, I want to introduce my guest that we have here today. He is a returning guest. He's been on here many times. Say hi to David. Hey, everyone. Uh, Lisa, thanks a ton for having me back. I'm so excited to be back on your show. Yes. And David, um, if our guests have not heard one of your previous episodes, and they totally should because they are some of the best IMO, I, I, and I say that as a extremely biased Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Um, no, we've, we've had a lot of fun in the past for sure. Yeah, um, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, so I'm David. Uh, Lisa and I go way back. We're we're good buddies, and um, you started this podcast. Of course, I was super jazz. I was you know listening from the very first day, and um, you inspired me to start my own podcast. So yes. I do I do one as well. It's about games, you know, tabletop gaming, role playing, board games, all that kind of stuff. Called High Shelf Gaming. Just search for us on whatever platform. We're we're probably there. Um, and really I have you to thank for it. That was, you gave me a lot of encouragement and early advice and we've been off to the races ever since. And it's been awesome. That's so awesome. You guys have accomplished so much on that podcast too. Like I was watching, uh, cause I'm in your group, you've got a Facebook group too. Mm-hmm. And you talk about like, you guys go to Gen Con and yeah. you have a big gaming, uh, you know, social community there. Um, it's just really cool. Yeah, it's kind of neat because it's games. I can tell my audience members, "Hey, come and join me to play games with me," which is kind <laughs> of interesting. Like, it's interesting being permeable like that because you get a lot of really cool people. I, I think we've only had like one instance where I was like, "Eh, could have done without that dude," but everybody <laughs> else has been awesome. So you know, it's a win-win on that front. That's really cool. I love that. Well, to segue into what we're talking about today, what movie are we discussing today? Oh, gosh. Okay. So this is a movie I've wanted to talk to you about for a long time. It is Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which is a 1954 film, black and white. So good. 
Yes, so good. I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, I think, you know, anyone who's interested in the art of film, I mean, you have to go back to Kira Kurosawa. Like, he is one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. He was, (laughs) he was so good. And he, like, he had such cool inspirations. And, like, so this movie is, was made in like 1953, printed in 1954. That's it's correct, yeah. you know it, it's a slower movie admittedly but that's because it's from the 50s and it's just still so good like i was watching it again going oh this is one of my favorite scenes oh i love it oh this is so intense and it's like it still has that punch it still has a lot of good storytelling in it so i still just love it to this day um it has not i've not gotten over it yet oh for sure it ages phenomenally i mean i think a lot of that has to do with the writing and the structure of the story. And we'll, we'll dive into all that. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we do, um, let me know, when was the first time you saw this movie? So um, obviously I wasn't alive when the movie came out. Um, <laughs> so it's, you and I are basically the same age. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school, I had a friend who really cultured me. He, he knew all the great music to listen to he was always introducing me to new movies and he got me into anime into role-playing games and all this stuff and he showed me seven samurai and i was just immediately taken like it's a foreign film and there's subtitles and it's black and white so there's a lot going against it for like a young david but (laughs) it was just so good that it overcame all of those shortcomings and i've kind of been a fan of it ever since i was i don't know 16 you know it's just so good to me yeah that's so cool yeah i think i i was probably in my if i was in my teens it was like 19 18 or 19 Uh somewhere Uh around Uh there um and uh a guy that i was dating at the time was you know we were both huge anime fans sure big shock there (laughs) yeah um and uh he introduced me to this movie. He's just, he was obsessed with it. And he was like, we got to sit down and watch it together. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I, I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So he was the first person to introduce it to me, but I've seen it. I think I've seen it a couple times over the years. Um, it is a longer movie. I think it, the runtime's three hours and 26 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and there's an intermission, <laughs> which, yes. you know, the first time I saw that, I was like, wait, what? This is like a play? <laughs> yeah, well, some of the older movies had intermissions, which is weird to think about now. <laughs> but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, yeah. So I haven't seen it, you know, a ton, but sure. I've seen it a couple times. And watching it again, uh, I actually watched it, I think, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, I I was just blown away by the way it holds up, you know, Um Maybe exceeded yeah. what I remembered about it, probably because I'm older now. I don't know if yeah, I'm wiser, well, but I'm older. <laughs> it, and the thing is, is that like when you see it a couple of times, you notice details that you missed the first time. This this yeah. is definitely one of those movies that I can watch it a couple of times and really feel like, oh wow, I I completely forgot about that, or I never noticed the way he was standing in this in this scene and how that completely separates him from the group and all these types oh, of yeah. things. It's like, Oh man, there's just so much really good detail they put into it. So it's, it is one of those movies that I'm, I'm happy to watch a few times. It, it is longer. So it is tough for me to, it's not a yearly watch for me, but it is a, if somebody wants to watch it, I'm going to sit down and watch it with them. Cause I'm going to enjoy it. 
Right. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. Um, and before yeah. we do that, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and read the summary really quick. Um, but here we go. The summary for Seven Samurai. Uh, Seven Samurai is a 1954 Japanese epic samurai drama filmed and co-wrote and edited and directed by Akira Kurosawa. The story yeah. takes place in uh, 1586 during the Sengoku period of Japanese history. It follows the story of a village of farmers that hire seven ronin, or masterless samurai, to combat bandits who will return after the harvest to steal their crops. Yeah, and I, I like that. You know, what's interesting about that is for an American listener, it, some of those details maybe don't make as much sense or don't mean as much, but to like a Japanese audience, knowing that this happened in the 1500s is very important because they would know that that's a tumultuous time in Japan where there was a lot of small warlords and there really wasn't like a unified nation. And um, that really sets the stage for why is there a village that has tons of bandits giving it problems? You know, why isn't there somebody doing anything about this? And uh, I think that Akira Kurosawa like, you know, really, he he picked a good point in history to set his movies so it made sense to, you know, his audience. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and as we kind of get more into, you know, the the parallels between Akira Kurosawa and some, you know, Westerns that came after it, mm. it's kind of a vice versa thing where um, I think that the best kind of samurai films are about sort of the... I guess the ending of the samurai, because that's the sense that I get. I would never pretend to be a Japanese historian, sure. <laughs> but um, but you can tell that it's a time of change. Things are are changing. They're different. They're tumultuous, like you said. Yeah. And it it feels like the best movies about samurai tend to be about when the sun is setting, so to speak, on their time. And in the same way, I think westerns tend to be their strongest when it's about the end of the West. Yeah. So, so I think having that context, you know, I, I think that because I did watch some anime, which is sounds like the nerdiest thing I could possibly, most American thing I could say, but I think it did give me a little bit of context when I saw this movie. But then I think if you ever have trouble sort of understanding or relating to that time, think of it as a Western. And I'm sure we'll get more into that as we go on. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, you tell me when we can talk about that part. I, I, I do, I do want to like add to one thing you said there, which was, you know, talking about times when things are tumultuous and things are, you know, maybe sunsetting for certain, uh, for certain dynasties, not dynasties, uh, emperors or, uh, for the samurai, uh, caste system and all that kind of stuff. Like I completely agree. There's kind of like old school Westerns that celebrate the conquering of the West and then there's mm -hmm. the new school Westerns that really take place like right after the Civil War when it's kind of an apocalypse in the West and there's no law. Yeah. And, you know, and I think Akira Kurosawa is very similar to newer style Westerns where it's kind of a it's kind of a post-Civil War or during a Civil War in Japan when things aren't status quo, aren't safe and I agree completely. Those are the ones that resonate over here. And that's probably why I like this one so much is that it's not a super buttoned down society where everything is taken care of. Like, no, it's kind of chaotic and, you know, and it gives room for a story like this to, to happen. Oh, I totally agree. Well, with that, I'm going to say a couple of quick facts. Now, I feel like we could have literally an hour. 
So I've only got three. Okay. But definitely interject. And if you have a couple, you know, go ahead and say them. I, I'm not trying to discourage you. I just. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I've, <laughs> anyway. I've come prepared with just one. So you do yours okay. and then I'll do my one. And then we're, then I promise we're done. <laughs> that sounds good. Okay. So um, Akira Kurosawa designed a registry of 101 residents of the village, creating a family tree to help his extras build their characters what? and relationships to each other. What? It's like mind blowing. I think, you know, when you look back at, I think, earlier cinema where we had a lot of these epics, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something we're kind of missing now. It's sort of replaced by like CG extras, you know, and like just the thought that that amount of detail went into building this world is just incredible. Yeah. Wow. And you know, what's funny about that is like, I couldn't imagine because you're right today, extras are like a cattle call, right? And (laughs) nothing like, hey, here's the intricacies of your family tree. And some of you (laughs) founded this town and you guys moved into this town. And it's like, and go. And they're like, wait, what am I supposed to do with all this detail? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, um, okay. Yeah. They're like, you know, move this uh, branch around or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't resonate here today. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I saw that when I was kind of scrolling through on IMDb, and I was just like, man, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Akira Kurosawa's ancestors were samurai, roughly up to 100 years before he made this film. I heard that, yeah, that he comes that's from cool. nobility, which is, I mean, it one, it's cool, but on another level, it kind of makes sense because he was a filmmaker, and yeah. I think back in that time, you had to kind of come from some kind of money in order to have the education that lets you do that stuff. So it kind of makes sense, you know, that he was, yeah. you know, from a samurai cast and they, their family still held on to enough money to give him the opportunities to be who he became, which is, which is great for him. Right. No, I completely agree. Um, also, this film is often described as the greatest Japanese film ever made, wow. uh, including well-known Japanese film historian Donald Ritchie and by Entertainment Weekly in its list of 100 greatest films of all time. Wow. Interestingly, despite its widespread commercial popularity, it was not particularly highly regarded by Japanese critics at the time of its release. Uh, now it's considered part of the golden age of Japanese cinema, obviously, but like so many other great films, it was not considered as great at the time. Seems like that's, there's a theme going there with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it makes me feel good that that's, that this film is in my like high top 10 list. <laughs> that it's, oh, that it's, I, I bet it's in a lot of people's. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a masterpiece it, for sure. And you know what? So I was. I was doing a little bit of research on how this film was received, and I think there was at the time some local criticism that this movie did not like honor or celebrate samurai as these like yeah. you know idealized people. I mean, the movie is—I mean, the Seven Samurai are the heroes in the movie, but they are flawed people. Um, deeply flawed totally. I mean, it's yeah. shocking to like watch <laughs> nowadays it's so relevant and it, it resonates with us like even though you know we don't have samurai in our culture right it's it really uh humanizes them but it also sort of crit- critiques them and yeah that that that's really interesting and i feel like the best movies do that right they, yeah. they kind of shake up the status quo and they upset people and yeah you know, you get a, you get a better story. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I think that's part of why it did so well here. And there's so many of Americans that love it. And maybe originally in Japan it wasn't super well received, but 
I think over time they kind of came around to us like, okay, no, he is actually amazing. And we were just kind of hurt that our samurai weren't perfect. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting to think that he came from samurai, that they were his ancestors. So it's like, you know, he kind of, in a way, weirdly has permission. To do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your quick fact though? I want to hear um, your fact now. Okay. So I actually... As we were talking, I have two. Um, and I, I told you I had one. I lied. I have two. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, the first one is that uh, Kurosawa was was deeply inspired by classic Westerns from like John Ford and other, you know, early Western folks. And he's, you know, he's on record for saying, you know, I basically took Japanese stories and applied the Western genre styling to them and told my stories through that uh, vehicle, which makes tons of sense. And I think that's part of the yeah. reason why I like it so much is because the style of storytelling is very familiar to me. Um, oh, for sure. And then, and I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. Oh, I, I guess the only thing I would add to that is that also makes logical sense because I think, you know, film sort of originated in the West, right? Mm -hmm. So that becomes then the model for everyone else. And I think it's a little bit of a common misconception. Almost every time Akira Kurosawa's name comes up, people jump all over Sergio Leone and yeah. they're like, he ripped him off. Eh. He, he's, you know, and it's kind of like, in a way, yeah, like I, there was some bad blood, I think a little bit between them. But at the same time, it's sort of cyclical. It's like Akira Kurosawa was influenced by Westerns and he made samurai movies that then in inspired westerns right like, you can definitely see how they're all influencing each other and i think even i had that knee-jerk reaction before i knew more about it so i think that's a really good fact to bring up yeah and you know to touch on that real quick with sergio leone i mean yeah akira's um the company uh toyo or whatever sued and they settled out of court but everybody got really well paid on that so like <laughs> sure there was bad blood but like Kurosawa was taken care of. The Japanese company was taken care of, and Sergio Leone's career was bright and shining ever after. So, like, eh, they were all fine in the end, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's like, how do you like not be influenced at all by everyone else ever? Like, it's going to happen if you make movies. You're going to be influenced by what came before you, and yeah. you're even going to be influenced by what's happening now. Yeah, you know? yeah, of course, of course. And I think that it's natural for filmmakers to look at something that they like. And maybe borrow a shot or two or borrow yeah. some some thematic notes. Um, you know, and I, I think that Akira was legitimate in his lawsuit, but like it was only over one movie. Um, and they all were fine and everybody moved on with their careers. And so like, eh, it's okay. Like, let's all just continue to enjoy the films from both teams and not feel like you have to back one horse over the other because both those horses had great careers, you know? And both movies have horses. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of horses in all these movies. There's lots of horses. Um, and in fact, I, I think the horses were ended up being a problem. We'll probably talk about yeah, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You saw, you see, you actually see some people get hurt by the horses. It's really interesting. Um, well, yeah. I was one, I was going to ask you about that when we talk about the movie because it, it's super physical. A lot of the stuff that happens. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. I don't think they had like set safety back then, like, they, like we do <laughs> no. now. Um, so, uh, so, my other fact, just so we, uh, just so I get it out there. Um, oh, go for it. So I was also a really big fan of another director, Sidney Lumet, who made The okay. Verdict, Dog Day Afternoon, and a bunch of other okay. kind of yeah. old school movies. Sidney was talking with Akira Kurosawa once, asking him, "Hey, so you had this one shot. Why did you frame it that way? Because it was so weird." And 
Akira was like, well, if I panned the camera a couple of degrees to the left, I was going to have the um, main flight path for the Tokyo uh, Tokyo airport. And if I panned it a little bit to the right, I was going to have like the Space Needle or not the Space Needle, but the Tokyo Tower in the frame. And he was like, this was the only shot I could get for the location. It was literally the only one that worked. And, you know, he was a he was born in Tokyo, filmed a lot in and around Tokyo, and he had some really interesting constraints because of that. He's making all these period pieces and he's in like one of the busiest, most bustling metropolises on, you know, in the Pacific Rim. And he just kind of had to make a lot of stuff work, which is really cool um, that he was able to to do that. And that's just one of the things about him that I, I've always kind of taken to heart is like, you don't always get it perfect. You know, you don't always get it like exactly the way you want, but you make it work and it, and it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, some of the best decisions of filmmaking come out because of restraints. Like, yeah. uh, you know, last week, um, well, two weeks ago, sorry, uh, Thomas Olson and I were discussing back to the future part two. And uh, this is in part one, but the whole clock tower thing is because they could not film a scene in the desert with a big atomic explosion, but they wanted to end on a bang. Yeah. And like, I feel like if they had ended that movie that way, it would have been not as interesting. Right. You know, so sometimes constraints actually lead to better films. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's uh, one of those happy accidents that's, um, that's, that's great about filmmaking. Awesome. Well, let's dive into the plot of the film. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to let you lead. Uh, to talk about your the first scene you want to discuss. Okay. Um, so I, I do want to kind of set the stage a little bit on this movie. That sure. Um, so Seven Samurai is really an ensemble film. Uh, think like Motley Crue or you know one of these other movies out there where you end up with lots of very different people. And they kind of like come together as a <laughs> as a ragtag group. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. but they're all samurai in this story. Um, so it's just one of those things that is is really neat that 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 formula is here, and we still see it in so many movies in the future. Um, one of the one of the things about this kind of setup is like if I if I look at one of the earlier scenes where, um, let's see here. Oh yeah. So if we look at one of the earlier scenes where the farmers are, you know, they're kind of debating what kind, like, how are they going to get a samurai? Because samurai are these like mm -hmm. really wealthy people, and they're these they're these killers, and they're really scary to farmers. So how do you hire a a, a a samurai? And they go and talk to the old man in the mill. To he's kind of the wise man of the of the village, and and he and they ask him like, how do you know how do we find samurai? Because you know you're telling us to hire these samurai. How how are we supposed to get them? And he he drops the line. Well, we will feed them. We will feed them rice. And they said, well, who? Which samurai is going to want rice? And he goes, we will hire hungry samurai. And <laughs> and it's and it's so it's so interesting because I think that the preconception is that no samurai would ever be hungry because they've got these lords and they're all super wealthy. And this guy is this this old wise man has seen it. He knows that there are hungry samurai and just knows that, Hey, just go out there and you're going to find guys that will work for food. And, um, I think it's really telling that, you know, one, it's the, it's the wise old man in the village giving this sage advice. And that's very like, you know, honor your elders and all that kind of stuff kind of speaks to that 
honorific within the culture. And then also just the reality of, yeah, you might think these guys are all high and mighty, but actually plenty of them are hungry and enough of them are hungry that we could hire them. Yeah, because I mean, the the village is in a pretty desperate situation. Yeah, <laughs> uh, The bandits are not even leaving them enough food to eat. They're having to sort of lie to the bandits and try to placate them just so they can survive. And, and their first option was, oh, I guess we're just going to have to beg them to let us have enough food to eat. Like that's how bad things have gotten. And so they're like, how in the world would we ever come up with any sort of compensation? And yeah, the, the elders saying, you know, fine, hungry samurai is interesting. And also because he's basically saying, you're not going to get the cream of the crop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that I think that kind of sets the tone for the movie for why the audience is like, oh, okay, that's why these samurai are so uh mismatched um yeah not the best of the best yeah. they are literally working for a bowl of rice here yeah exactly and i um i think that's such a it's yeah it's like set set sights to medium <laughs> on what you're gonna get yeah. medium to low <laughs> right right we're gonna do our best here <laughs> yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so my favorite in the early part of the movie i think the way they introduce some of the main samurai each of those is so good um, mm -hmm. like when they go and introduce the leader, uh, Kimbe, the older man that I love him. Oh, he is <laughs> one. He is awesome. And just his character is so good. And he's, and he's like, he's been there, done that. He's, he's kind of the survivor, right? Like he's a, he's, he's old enough to seen so many wars that his, his defining characteristic is that he's going to make it like he's going to survive because he's clearly already survived so many problems in the past. Um, mm -hmm. But the way they introduce him is so cool. Um, you know, he's the, there's this commotion and the farmers are kind of wondering what's going on. And there's this yes. samurai and he like goes and like starts shaving his, shaving his head or he cuts off his top knot. So he's like one willing to, remove the part that signifies his status in the world. Right. It's a huge deal. I mean, for anyone that doesn't know a lot about samurai culture, not that I know a lot, but yep. I know that that is really important. Yeah. So it's and, a huge sacrifice. And he's the one that cuts that off. So he's like, this is the part mm -hmm. I'm taking. And then he hands the razor over to a monk, I think, to finish shaving his head. So he's like, nobody cuts this off but me. But once I'm done with this part, I want somebody to clean up my head and make me look like a monk. Um, yeah. and it's cool because his price for that wasn't riches for him. It was props for him to complete the task. Um, cause they were asked what well, the farmers were asking, like, you know, what's going on? And, you know, and somebody said, oh, well, all he asked for was monk robes and a bowl of rice. And, and that's all, that's all he's getting for this is two pieces of rice or two balls of rice and some clothes. And no, he wasn't going to take any of those things. He was just using those to solve a problem that he knew he could solve. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really cool. It really sets him up as someone who isn't doesn't have needs, but he is interested in solving problems that probably nobody else can solve. Yeah, I also think it kind of touches on a theme that I think is prevalent throughout the film. And I think is prevalent in a lot of Japanese films about sort of society or the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few kind of thing yeah. that 
the individual is not as important as everybody else. And I feel like by shaving his top knot and also asking help from the monk, he's basically saying, hey, we're on the same level. Yeah. And we're both just as important as the other person, which I think is not a, you know, a, a, a thought that a lot of people had at that time. No, that's a good point. And, you know, in that same scene is when we as the audience meet the pretty boy and the false samurai because they're all kind of hanging around too. And I think that both of those characters could never debase themselves like Kimbe did. Mm-hmm. You know, and they probably see that in him and are probably on a level attracted to the confidence that he has to go through with that and still hold himself up as a samurai. Whereas both of those characters looking at that same setup would go, no way am I cutting off my top knot. No way am I going to help some beggar deal with or some, you know, some some person that's not even a, a royalty ca- cast deal with these problems. I'm, you know, more ambitious but then here's this guy who's clearly done great things and he doesn't have that ego. You know, he's, he's willing yeah. to, to do that. And I, I think that's a really cool thing. It really sets up his position with everybody that no, he's the one that um, is going to get it done. And he's the one that has, um, it doesn't put his own ego ahead of success. Yeah. And he uses that logic a lot in the film. I think there's a few key scenes we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on later where that this theme sort of comes up again of not just thinking about yourself. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, let's see here. And then, and then what's really cool, I didn't catch this the first couple of times, but he, so the deal is he has to go and rescue a child from a thief. The, a thief has, has taken a child and is holding it hostage and um, he has to go and save the child. And I didn't catch this probably the first several viewings. He is dressed as a monk outside this little hut. You never see into the hut. Um, and he's told to throw the balls of rice in so that he can feed the thief and the baby. But he's told to stay outside of the hut. So he does that. He throws the rice balls in there. And then he waits a minute and you see him kind of reposition. And then he runs into the hut. And then at the end, the thief is running out of the hut with an empty scabbard and a stab in the back. And he dies. Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, Kimbe throws the sword onto the ground. And I didn't catch on to this, that he ran into that hut unarmed. With no sword, yeah. yeah. With the knowledge that he was going to take that guy's sword and then kill him. I noticed that, I want to say, I don't know, two times ago that I watched this movie. I was just like, oh my God, this guy's even way cooler than I thought. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just sets him up as this really self-sacrificial person and like a complete badass. Mm-hmm. He's like, all I need is a couple balls of rice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll take your sword. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. There's a sword in the room. It's mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it tells the audience a lot that he's extremely skilled. Yeah. 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 Very, very cool. Scene. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, you know, follow on to that. We meet the the pretty boy samurai. The 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 the. I call him the pretty boy. He's just the young one who. He, he is. He is though. Yeah, and he's no, very he beautiful. Is. He's like, a young like one. They, Akira knew how to shoot him to make him pretty because they. There are several times throughout the movie we're like, man, does Akira have kind of a crush on this kid? Because it is. He's looking good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think too contrasted with some of the other like more characters. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, he's definitely like the Hollywood sort of 
uh, you know, main leading boy and the rest of them are sort of more like a ragtag. Sure. Yeah. And some of them are very, very hard and very stern faced. And so it's, it's good to have, it's good to have this one kid that's like, okay, well he's pretty to look at. So, and he's still good. He's just has a lot to learn. Um, right. And then the false samurai, um, which is played by Mifun, who is a favorite of Akira's like Mifun is in almost all of Akira's movies. Oh. Um, the false samurai is uh, Kikuchio. Yeah, Kikuchio. Um, and he's the he's real boisterous. He has this giant sword. Um, and as a character, I really, I really like um, uh, Mifun's character, uh, Kikuchio. Uh, I think he does too, right? Like, I think he said this is like his favorite that he's ever done because he kind of got to be himself. I think is what. I oh remember. wow! I, I mean, I believe it. He he had so much emotion like so many of the characters in this movie are very even keeled and kind of a stereotypical like japanese portrayal of japanese people very even keeled and mifun is all over the place he's he's angry and he's passionate and he's drunk and he's like he's high on life and he's like lecturing people that are way above him in station. And he's just all over the place in this movie, but we get to meet him mm-hmm. in that scene. Um, and he, he really, there are times in my life where I've not liked him in this movie. And then like nowadays I really appreciate him. Uh, now that I see like the, the place he fits in within the group and I can appreciate it more. I really like his character. Well, it's a really big performance, right? I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of things he does in the movie that seem, I guess, over the top or more theater-esque, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's kind of like, uh, I think he's needed, though, because I feel that there are so many moments in the movie that are so serious or things are so dire, and yeah. I think the way he reacts um, sort of breaks that up a little bit. Sometimes it adds humor. Sometimes it's like exciting, you know, sometimes it's kind of inspiring. So yeah. I, I could see that. I could see maybe watching this and not loving it, but yeah, I think the more that you see it and you see how he fits into the movie, it, it makes sense. Yeah. And one thing I liked about him, um, and I, I always kind of got the impression that even before they get into the movie, that he's not a real samurai, um, because <laughs> it's kind of early on that they out him. Um, he's always like scratching himself, like on the neck, like he's kind of dirty, you know, like he, he yes. hasn't bathed in a while and he's like fighting off some scurvy or something. I don't know, but like he's always got this kind of, um, like, like kid who plays in the mud too much, uh, feel about him. And it's just, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I really find, I really find that character fun. And, and as they introduce him is nice because he's around, he's hovering around, but he's not actually a part of the group until pretty late in the, in their samurai selection. That's true. I, I also read that Akira Kurosawa would ask actors to like, sort of come up with a gimmick kind of thing, oh. like, you know, do a movement or do something that sort of sets you apart. And that way in certain scenes, you can like spot them right away. Even if their back is turned mm-hmm. or you can't fully see them, you automatically pick up on who they are. Um, and it made me think about that character specifically, I guess, this actor, you know, uh, took it to heart probably the most. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a really good point because there are some samurai in their group that look very similar from a build perspective. They have similar shaped faces and 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 shoulders and all that kind of stuff. And there are times where I'm like, ah, which one is that? <laughs> <laughs> but then they'll kind of do a move mm-hmm. and you're like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
And then my other favorite samurai introduction is the duelist, um, which is one of the later samurai for them to introduce in the film um, during the introduction period. But that scene really sets up for how Akira is going to handle tension throughout the film. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's, they, they, there's a there's a gathering of people, and you can see that the the, the duelist and another samurai are uh, cleaning off like just bamboo sticks, and they're going to use them to fight. You know, they're they're kind of shaped to to fight. They do a they do basically a dummy duel, and the duelist claims victory, and the other samurai says that's preposterous. It, or no, I think the other samurai says ah a tie. And the duelist says, no, no, I, I hit you first. You would have died. Um, and, <laughs> and it's funny, like the duelist doesn't ever say a whole lot in this movie, but every time he does, somebody's going to die. <laughs> and so he says, no, I, I killed you. And this angers the other samurai and he has to like, I don't know, win back his pride or something stupid. So he draws a sword and says, all right, I'm going to kill you. Um, and the duelist, you know, takes his sword and says, okay, well, um, then they, they basically mirror the same duel they just had, but you can tell the, the other samurai, not the duelist, the other samurai is more scared because he's doing a lot of shouts. He's reacting quite a lot to the minor movements of the duelist, um, and eventually works himself up to just attack the duelist. And when he does, he immediately gets cut down. Um, but what the way the scene is portrayed, the way it's shot, you you as an audience member feel this kind of rising tension, and you can feel the the you can almost feel the jitteriness of the opponent, and he and his energy amps me up and makes me feel tension, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the fight happens; it's over in a blink, and the tension is all released, and and that that building of tension before the fight that's one of the things that i think is really characteristic of a, of a, of akira and really characteristic of this movie and, and other movies like it that the tension comes before the fight and the fight is a yeah, release yeah. of that tension um you know whereas in western film especially today like fights last for minutes you know <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it's just and it's just like building more and more tension and there's more and more people dying and it's like oh my gosh there's so much carnage um and it's you know fun to watch but the tension is in the fight itself whereas in akira's film the tension is pre-fight because oh. you know it's uh, the suspense of is this really going to happen or are they going to come to their senses who's going to die um, and is it going to be clean or not? You know, and I think there's a, I think there's a really cool way that he set that up early on in the film that, you know, we're going to have a lot of tension, you know, before these fights and the fights are the release of all that tension. Yeah. Cause I would say when you compare this to other, uh, Japanese films about, you know, samurai or in that era, uh, or period pieces, I feel like there's a lot more fighting in general, Whereas Akira Kurosawa's movies are more about the plot and the story and things like that. They're not like, you know, martial arts movies. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so. it, it's not it's not like kung fu porn where it's like, look at all these awesome right. stances these guys use. It's like, no, no, the sword happens and a guy dies. And we move on because there's more plot after this. 
Right. And like, you know, there's obviously a place for those movies and they're really good, but Akira Kurosawa, that's not what he's trying to tell here. And I agree. I think that it shows a lot of restraint when you don't show a ton of action mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, he's a master storyteller. And sometimes even when there's no words, you know, he's building up tension and that's challenging to do. So yeah, I think that's really yeah. cool. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. That's, um, that's, that's one of the many reasons I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I've got a couple other scenes that are like, uh, really kind of favorites of mine. Do you have, do you have one like kind of off the top of your head that you were, um, maybe earlier on in the movie that, that were really, uh, kind of spoke to you? Ugh, I feel like I should wait because I think all my favorite scenes are towards the okay. end. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to show restraint okay, cool. as well. And- um, <laughs> so, so my next big scene is, is after the samurai have been, have, have agreed to do this. And there's, it's, it's really neat seeing how the group comes together. Um, even Mifun has this really great uh, drunken, drunken chase through the tent as they're keeping his sword away from him which i mean <laughs> for a samurai to not have their sword is really really bad um <laughs> like, like he should probably like maybe maybe commit seppuku if he never got a sword back so like the fact that they were able to easily take it from him there's this really great scene it's 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 awesome to watch and it's the scene where he um gets outed as not a samurai um that's just a that's just a fun scene but but the next one that's really important to me is they've gotten back to the town and they're starting to train the villagers and prep for the fight. And there's this really like kind of funky old villager named um, Yoe or something like that. And there's the spear line. There's all these, there's all these villagers and they've got these like bamboo spears and a spear made out of bamboo is like not much, but it's a spear. It's a pointy stick and it'll scare a horse. Um, and at the end of this line of spearmen, which are still really ragtag, at the very end is Yoe. And he has this big, beautiful spear. <laughs> and um, and Mufun's character, uh, uh, Kikucho, sees it and is like, what are you doing with this spear? And it's so funny because as soon as Yoe is spotted as having this spear, you can see on his face the terror as he thought, oh, I just brought the spear that I have at home. And he starts to put it together that I should not have brought this. I should not have brought this out yeah. there because it's so. it shows that the farmers have samurai weapons that they are definitely not allowed to have. And you can just see the terror on his face. And it's one of it's so endearing to watch him like panic and just he's just so crushed that he got found out. And then um and then this really important scene happens right after that, where Kikucho goes and gathers all of the samurai equipment that the farmers have been hiding. Yeah, that that actually is okay. I, I think I was thinking that happened later on. Um, that actually is one of my favorite parts. That that is a really a really good scene. Yeah, where he's wearing all the armor and he's saying like, "Hey, look, we got tons of samurai armor." And the samurais right away are looking at him in almost just silence and anger, and oh, they're yeah. like, "Where did you get that?" Oh yeah, you and you like, can tell as yeah. soon as he shows up, all of them tense. And it's one of those things like they're all very casual guys, like they're safe, and they see that hall and 
all of their shoulders tighten and some of their hands go to their swords even. I was like, Ooh, who this is a bad moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he says, you know, the only way to get that samurai armor is to, is to kill a samurai, which I think is really good for a Western audience like me. I wouldn't have known that. So that's a really good moment because you're realizing that, Again, I think they set up a lot in the movie that there's a definite hierarchy here and these farmers are at like the very bottom right. and, you know, they've done something just unforgivable. They've killed samurai. This is not okay. And uh, and then uh, Mifun's character says, well, so what? You know, like now we have it. Now we can defend ourselves with it. And he starts going into this rant about how farmers are wily, he calls yeah. them. He says they're lying. You know, they say stuff like, oh, we don't have rice. We don't have sake. They, they're hiding, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. But then, and so like, it sounds like this sort of scathing indictment on farmers. And then halfway through his speech, he gets really emotional and says, but what choice do they have? Because we, because of our wars, we pillage their villages. Yep. We rape their women. Yep. We take everything they have. They are forced to live this way. They're forced to hide everything and they're even forced to kill us. And he just starts crying. And that's when the leader who probably, like you said, I think they already kind of knew, but this is the moment where the leader is like, you were a farmer. huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, they knew he wasn't a samurai, but that was the moment where he put it together. Like, Oh, this is your pain. And you know, this, and, and I think that, the I think that the leader, uh, Kimbe, he he and Mufun are like yin and yang. They're they're like opposites of one another in a lot of ways. Oh, sure. yeah. But they're both kind of the moral compass of the group. Yeah, I think they're able to see outside of society's structure and situation. They're able to sort of be outside of it and and know that how things really yeah work. and i think that when i mean when kimbe sees all that stuff i think he was probably calculating in his head as like all right i think we can kill all these people because um, <laughs> i think even the mer- <laughs> i think even the duelist was at one point saying we just need to kill everybody here like this whole town is burned to the ground before before mm-hmm. mifun goes into his spiel and then once mifun kind of lays it all out for them that like no 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 actually you people as samurai, you're the ones that cause this pain that leads them to do this. Um, they're all, you know, properly chastised. And it's Kimbe that, uh, you know, comes to that understanding of his past and ultimately says, yeah, you're probably right, but we're still not going to use any of that stuff. You know, like, like, yeah, we're not going to kill everybody, but all this stuff needs to go away and I don't want to ever see it again. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I think the movie does such a good job without showing you a lot of his, his name's Kimbe. I just want to make sure I say it. Right. Yeah, uh, K I M B E I Kimbe. <laughs> okay, Kimbe. Um, I think they do a good job of really letting you feel the weight of Kimbe's past without actually showing it. Which I feel like a lot of really good main samurai characters and Western characters have that sort of background of like I killed a bunch of people, I did a bunch of things. I'm not doing that anymore. And I feel like it's part of his internal moral code and him hearing out a farmer and them defending farmers. All of it is sort of wrapped up in his, you know, kind of coming to peace with who he was, but also changing for the better. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important that because he's gone through all that stuff and he's clearly lost big battles, I kind of get the impression that he was a warlord 
and had a castle and then lost it. Mm, um, I love that. And because um, if you look at some of the discussion he has with his old friend, um, which I think is Gordobe, uh, one of the bigger guys, um, they talk a little bit about, oh, hey, you survived. How did you survive? Oh, I hid underwater lilies. Um, and then he talks another point about having a castle or, or you know, having your castle taken from you. And oh, I didn't pick and up. And I kind of get the impression that what what Kimbe brings to the table is he no longer has anything to prove. You know, his, his mm-hmm. days of trying to make his mark in the world are over, and he is just trying to. He's just interested to solve interesting problems, and this farm village has given him a big problem to solve. Um, and and I I really think it's like kind of a big intellectual exploration for him like can i solve this you know um well and also a way for him to use his leadership skills for good you know instead of just using them to win wars or acquire more things it's like what if i use my leadership skills to help people and you know this story proves he could do that yeah and and the cool thing about this moment is after this the the Samurai really like whip the farm and the farming community into shape and they have the harvest and you kind of get the impression that the samurai and farmers no longer have tension between them, that all the dirty air, all the dirty laundry is out. We've all seen it and we've put it away and now we're companions in this effort. We're no longer, you know, at, there's no longer tension because we've all seen each other's skeletons now. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of on the same level because the samurai are training them, which I don't think they would normally be doing. Um, So they're making them soldiers. And then also they're being fed by the farmers. Like, it's just they're more kind of on the same level. They're participating in their uh, festival with them and all that good stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely see that that is a a turn in the movie where the tension lifted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Let's see here. My next, like, Big favorite scene is um, oh there's a there's a really there's a really fun moment um, the harvest is is happening or has happened um, and these three um, these three scouts from the bandits shows up and they're kind of scouting around the wall and and all the all the samurai are hiding they're all kind of they're waiting to see what the scouts do so that they can maybe jump them or something along those lines and Mifun, um, uh, 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 Kikucho is running around like, Hey, where are you guys? Like, where are you jerks? And the scouts <laughs> get nervous and start to rabbit. Um, and the duelist, I love it. Every time this guy speaks, people die. He says, I'll kill them. They're in my territory. And he's just such a badass. Like he, and I think one of the two of the other samurai just run off towards where the duelists keep their horses. And he's just like, I will kill them. This problem is solved. And he just goes and does it. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, you, all of you bandits are going to die. <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> there's no quarter for you. Um, and it's just, I don't know, this one of the little character notes about him. He, he doesn't do a whole lot in the movie, but whenever he speaks, I'm always like, ooh, somebody's going to die. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, also, in this part, is this, I can't remember, where do they get the head count of everybody? Because I was wondering that when I was watching it. I feel like I missed that part because they have like a strategy and they know exactly how many bandits Oh, are. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, so that was the scouts. After the scouts, they take one of the scouts and find out where the bandit hideout is. I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and the okay. samurai are actually trying to 
keep the prisoner alive, he's begged for mercy, and the farm village is having nothing to do with that. They all want to kill these guys. And it isn't until the little old lady and the old man from the village both show up. And the samurai are like, okay, well, they're they're the oldest people here. I have to give them deference. And the old lady has like a rake in her hand. She's going to kill this dude. And, you know, she goes and she clearly doesn't have the strength. And so somebody shouts, hey, why don't you help her? And the samurai are like, okay, fine. They're going to kill this scout. Fine. But they got the information they needed. They know where the bandit hideout is. And at the time, they knew about 40 bandits because one of the farmers in the very beginning said 40 bandits so they go to the hideout to kill as many bandits as they can in a surprise attack and they count the deaths there and figure they got they got 10 um and so they were expecting 30 at the main fight and it turns out that during the main fight all the bandits show up in the village and they do a count right there in the field and that's when, mm-hmm. you know, when, when he's looking at the map and he's got all those circles of the bandits that they're killing, yeah. that's how he knows exactly how many circles is. They do give him an accurate count when the real fight begins. Um, but okay. yeah, because yeah, it increases kind of, it's like, he's got a number and then it gets kind of like longer. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. They, they didn't have perfect information until the first day of the real fighting. Well, I think this leads a lot of credence to the idea that the leader used to be a warlord too, because he's very strategic in how he takes down these. Totally. <laughs> Every time they show him like counting the X's and him planning, I mean, he he literally plans every single move you know, what they're going to do when they come here, what they're going to do when they go there. So yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I did not pick up on that, but it's almost like there's no way he's right. not. Because it, how it, else would they have a And it's so chance? cool because that first day, he's not on one of the walls guarding some entrance. He's in the middle of town with his map in front of him and people are running to him with information and he's giving them orders. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's exactly what a field commander or a general of that time would do. He would not lift a sword. His job is to keep track of the strategy and let all of his really lethal people actually do the killing. Um, yeah. It's just so cool. And then he has this great, brilliant trap of only let one or two in at a time. And, you know, he's it's really, yeah, it's really cool to see him put it together of, no, we're not going to have one big fight. We're going to will totally, lose. totally yeah. lose. Yeah. We're going to will these guys down one at a time. <laughs> It's brilliant. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Um, so one thing I wanted to touch on, and I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the scene about farmers, um, about uh, when we find out that one of the samurai is not a samurai. Um, they set up this idea early on in the film that the farmers desperately need the samurai's help, but they're also extremely afraid of them. And I think what really sets off that fear is Shino. Uh she is a, a beautiful girl uh, that one of the farmers has. I think one of the main farmers, the the really really weenie one, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's and he's always the, he's always worrying. He's like, no, we shouldn't get any farm. He wouldn't get. We, he's always trying to say no to getting yeah, samurai. <laughs> his, his ultimate fear is losing his daughter. She's like, you know, important to him. I think at this time in history, also kind of a, a prized possession in a way. Um, but the th- first thing that he does is he cuts all her hair off and he hides her and, and forces her to pretend to be a boy. And this becomes like a really sweet subplot. It doesn't 
there are parts of it that are not sweet, but it, it's a sweet subplot that, you know, she she's participating in the fields and acting like one of the farmers. And then the handsomest uh, <laughs> samurai discovers she's a woman and they have sort of a, a on the side romance. Um, I, I do want to say one one moment thing about when he discovers she's a she. <laughs> yeah. When they're having I'm, a little tussle. Yeah, I I really appreciate that they went ahead and made him feel shame for what he did. Like you can see on his face, he's like, oh, I did something really wrong. I was super not supposed to do that. I didn't know it. I feel awful. Like you can just see him over in the corner like, oh, crap. <laughs> well, and I feel like that character too, he represents – what we wish samurai were right because yes. he's extremely yes. innocent extremely kind and and idealistic yeah, oh yeah and, and there's a fear that the village has i mean the reason why her father cut her hair is because they're afraid that once the uh samurai get what they want you know once they defeat these bandits they're going to just snatch all their women up and run away and like apparently that happens a lot so his he's afraid that that will happen to her but then she sees a completely different side to the samurai from what she's been told because she fights with this guy he realizes she's a woman by grabbing her boob <laughs> and then he's suddenly horrified that he did that to her and that he could have hurt a woman and he apologizes and it actually ends up being her later on in the film that's forward toward him not the other way around and i think this sets up an idea in her mind that like hey maybe these samurai are not so bad you know um disagree with what my father thinks oh there's 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 one other little trope in that scene when he when he he says why aren't you training with the other men and she runs and he chases her and what did she do she trips <laughs> in the forest and gets caught it's like it's like the, the tropes <laughs> of the woman being chased by the guy in the woods and she has to trip goes all the way back to 1954 folks and probably even later you know <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. And then both of them like falling down and yeah, the whole thing. Um, there's got to be some weird accident, you know, where pe two people get close. They can't yeah, exactly. just get close. Um, but uh, I think that is interesting because, you know, I feel like the samurai, uh, the leader and the rest of them, they realize right away that all the villagers are deeply afraid and hiding. And in fact, the, the village elder and the other villagers blame the scaredy cat uh, farmer because he set up that idea he was he cut his daughter's hair he hit her and suddenly all the farmers are like oh my gosh you're right they'll help us and then they're going to take everything they want like let's all run and hide and the the elder and everybody else is like you know this is really stupid of you and selfish all you care about is your daughter what about our village if we treat the samurai dis like you know with disrespect they're not going to protect us like what the heck are you doing how are you going to fix this which he doesn't even try to do um and i think the samurai seem really offended and angry at first they're like uh what kind of warm welcome is this and then i think it's not until that scene where mifun's character breaks down and it's it's before it's before that so 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 they're all saying you're treating us like a disease. They go and talk to the old man and that's when he's ch he's chastising the farmer for freaking everybody out, right? H how are you going to solve this problem? And then oh, they're all right. talking about how to like intellectually convince the farmers to accept the samurai and freaking Mufun, who's not even at the meeting decides, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to sound the alarm. I'm going to make it sound like the bandits are here now. And he's out there beating the alarm. The village is going nuts. The samurai, all of them are running as fast as they can back into the village. <laughs> and the village is, they're, they're all on the streets now. And, and it's Mufun who understands that they all are afraid of the samurai. I'm going to make them more afraid of something else. And the samurai are going to show up as heroes. The village is going to look to them saying, save us, save us, save us. This time there's nothing to save them from, but it sets the, it, 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 it makes everybody agree. Yes. The samurai are here to save them. And you saw them run in without fear to save you when you were scared. Ah, got it. Okay. Okay. That makes total sense. I think in my, in my head, I was thinking, you know, I, I think I just latched onto that part oh, yeah. where Mifun's character later is like, you know, you attack us, you attack yeah. women. I, I often feel, and this is just like my own personal thing, but I often feel like in a lot of these types of stories, they really gloss over that part. Yeah. It's like they're heroes. And there's always a part of me that's like, glad I wasn't a woman back then though. I, I know. Been, you know? Um, so it's kind of cool that they touch on that. Um, I, in such a direct way in this movie, which is probably also what really offended people back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing is that I think that is part of what makes this movie longer is Akira is honest with the emotional reality of the time. Yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah. he explores it um, with complexity, but he also, I think also with understanding. And so you kind of get like both sides and, um, you know, it, it doesn't leave you walking away going like, I can't even relate to people back then. Like he, he gives you that journey so that you can relate to them. And yeah. I appreciate that about it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, know. it's part of the writing. I think of this is to say that it's really complex what they're trying to achieve together. And he kind of acknowledges that complexity and just slowly unpacks each little thing that would be part of that complex picture and makes it so that, okay, yeah, we see that they're all afraid. Oh, here's how they solve that. And then we yeah. see that, oh, there's actually a reason why the samurai should be afraid. And the samurai think, cool, I'll just kill all of you. <laughs> but then we figure out why they should really all kind of understand that that they've all been bad to each other. Um, and let's just put that away. And I think that that's you know, a real credit to his writing to say that he really takes the time to like make all of this stuff make sense emotionally and not skip over any of that stuff. Oh, for sure. And I think it's jumping way ahead, but the scene with Shino where she finally gets together with Mifun's, mm -hmm. not Mifun, but the, the young guy's character. Yeah. Um, and uh, her father finds out and he's just like, so oh, distraught. Like, yes. Oh, she's ruined. Oh, yes. She's a slut. You know, he just goes insane. And yeah. um, at first uh, the leader uh, is like, uh, Kambe is like, okay who did it yeah <laughs> who he did this to his daughter like he's because i think from a social aspect i mean no matter whether the woman wanted to or not it would be seen as like you know extremely disrespectful and you've ruined this woman and mm -hmm. it's all over and mm -hmm. you know so he, the, his first impulse is to go okay who did it because i'm gonna deal with you right now look what you've done mm -hmm. and then um they slowly piece together okay it was the young guy and the girl and then they're kind of like you know, dude, in the grand scheme of things right now, oh, yeah. like, this is not that bad, okay? Like, yeah. came and stole her, okay? <laughs> you know, she obviously likes this guy. Yes, they were supposed to, you know, do this the right way. A farmer shouldn't be with a samurai and vice versa. They're not supposed to get together. But come on, 
things are really bad right now. Everyone's freaking out. They might die tomorrow. Like, let oh, them yeah. be happy. Oh, yeah. That was the night before <laughs> the big fight. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah we're, we're not going to make this. And I think that the leader, uh, Kimbe, is thinking that she was you know, assaulted, that she, assaulted? That she was yeah, raped. Yeah. And he was like, cool, you tell me who did this and that guy's going to die. And then they piece it together. Like you say, no, they're just lovers. And and the, I like the one Sam was like, hey, come on, man. It's all good. Like, I know. But seriously, people are about to die and they're all freaked out. And it's one of the other farmers that shames him and says, hey, at least she wasn't taken by bandits. You know? Right. And he goes, this happens. Yeah. It happens. Do you remember being young? Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And I felt like that was really cool and kind of pretty a pretty modern view of that. Like, so, yeah, totally. That line carries to today. It's like, eh, stuff happens. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, we all wanted them to get together and it was exciting that they weren't allowed to, I think. Mm-hmm. And so we got that really exciting scene where her father's upset and we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then they're like, they're in love. Mm-hmm. Know. Mm-hmm. And then he, the dad's like, mm, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just, I like, I like that, the way that their little romance wrapped up like that. Yeah, um, no, that, that was a good one. And I do like that um, there was a romance, but it wasn't like he got the girl in the end. Because even yeah. in the very end, she's like, no, I'm still a farmer. Like, you can see he's kind of wanting to take her. And I think that he's thinking about not being a samurai. Ooh. Or that's how I interpret yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, enough. he was like, what if what if I don't do this mm-hmm. and, and I stay with her? And she's pretty much like, if you're a samurai, like, no, yeah. I, I'm a farmer. I'm staying here. Yeah. And so he realizes in that moment, I've got to make a choice. And I also felt like the other samurai watching him, they've all had to make that choice. I think you're right. I think that because the, the other two are just watching him like, hmm, which way he's going to go. That's going to really tell us everything. Yeah. It's like being a cowboy. It's like, am yeah. I going to ride off into the sunset or am I going to stay here and start a family? There's not really a lot of cowboy stories about cowboys settling down and starting yeah. families you know so it's like are you going to be the hero or are you going to be a family man oh. it's more exciting when they don't settle down oh, you're making me want to talk about shane which explores that concept so much well okay anyways oh, i've never seen that okay, okay let's go ahead. all right so um the <laughs> um and then let's see here um the bandit camp attack is good uh one of the samurai dies there um it's 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 a it's a good scene, but it's not one of my favorites um, just because like, sure, they do the thing. But what I really like is after they get – no, actually before they leave. So Hihachi makes this banner, and the banner is this really cool like symbol that unifies everybody. It's six circles above a triangle above the kanji for farm. And they're talking to Mifun, and they're saying – and Mifun's like, what's with the circles? And they're like, that's us. And what's with the, you know, that's the farm. And what's with the triangle? And they, ha, 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 that's you. Um, and it, I, I never really understood this until researching for this. I finally figured out, well, the circles are Japanese, you know, like shorthand for good or okay. Uh. And the triangle is, is Japanese shorthand for partial okay or partial credit. <laughs> you're like half a sandwich. Yeah, it's like, eh, you're dark horse okay, you know? 
<laughs> and then there's the farm that they're all, you know, uh, protecting. Um, and that banner is used throughout the movie to help like rally everybody. And it, it took me forever to understand why, why was he a triangle and what's the significance of the triangle? And it wasn't until I was researching for this, that I was like, I got to understand the stupid triangle thing. Um, and he's also kind of like the bridge between them, I think. Yeah. Too, right? Yeah. So his position between the circles and the farm on the banner also goes with that and you're absolutely right he bridges those two communities um and, and that scene you're talking about it's it's the burial scene right where he goes and, and puts the the banner on top of the yeah it, it, it ends up there um mufun uses it at one point to put it on top of a house to like rally everybody again mufun is really good at getting everybody together when when the groups yeah. are trying to splinter, Mufun is the one that says, "No farmers, you're being dumb," or "No samurai, you're being mean." Let's you know come together. Um, but yeah, that yeah. banner comes up a couple of times. Okay, okay, okay. There's a really good scene breakdown. I think on every frame of painting, I'll post about that scene. Ooh. So that's why I was thinking nice. about it. Yeah, yeah. yes. I'll send you a link later. Uh, but go ahead, go ahead. Um, okay, so I think early movie. Those are all my big ones. Um, when the bandits show up and the, the fight is on, you kind of talked about it early. I really do like the way that Akira depicts making war because it makes sense. You know, like, I don't feel like we've lost track of anything, but it is a big complicated fight where there's, it's like they keep taking time out to go. Here's how many we've killed. Here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. It gives the audience time to sort of process it. If it was, if they didn't do that, I think I would start to get confused after a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they do a really good job of the exposition without a feeling like they're doing it for our benefit. You really get the sense mm-hmm. that they're doing it for their own benefit. And it makes sense. They would talk about it because they, you know, they are literally running information back and forth. Um, and we are there during the exchange. And it's, I, I just really like the way they, they made the the war aspect of this movie make sense to the audience. Mm-hmm. No, completely. I, I I agree. I think uh, I think that it's very strategic and it's exciting and interesting, even when they're just explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you you really get a sense of like how bad it really is. Like it's thirty dudes, three guns. They've all got horses. Like it's not. I know. <laughs> I felt that way watching it this time. I was like. This is bad. There's not enough of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's just, I, I really do like that. And you see, you see how first day they do super well, and then Mufun goes off to prove himself by getting a rifle. He leaves his post, and it gets people killed. And it's it's one of those things where you see how it's reasonable that things would start to fray. You know, sure they started great, but it got worse and worse. And this is also when they start to show you that the bandits are also tired and hungry and kind of like the farmers and samurai at this point. I mean, they've made bad life choices, but they're all desperate at, you know, uh, especially towards the end, this is just a desperate fight of one of us is going to die. And I have, I can't retreat. I have to try. Um, even -hmm. though it's a desperate attack and I, I, I really credit Akira's writing through all that to make it plain of why didn't the bandits just leave and go hit some other town without samurai? It's because right. they're hungry now. They can't go and get to another town and yeah. properly attack them. They got to do it here. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Well, in the musket scene, I think uh, Mifun's character is emboldened to do that because one of the other samurai does it, right? He's like, I'm going to get a musket. And it's so cool. He like disappears for a whole yes. night, comes back. The really silent guy. Is that the duelist? Yeah, yeah, the duelist. He, yeah, yeah. he, he does uh, the exact same thing. He's like, I'll go get them. And then he just runs off and comes back, like you say, the next day and goes, killed two. And hands over a rifle. It's like, dude, you're too yeah, cool. Yeah, and the young guy's like, you're so cool yes. <laughs> and he's just like whatever and just goes to sleep yes. um but yeah i think that that makes me think well i could get like a whole bunch of them and i feel like it also answers a question that maybe we the audience have is like why don't they just take their muskets right or their horses right and this is like one reason why they can't why can't they go make one big strategic strike it's because when mifun does that he leaves his post unattended and uh the, the leader uh I feel like I never feel like I can remember his name, Kambe. Uh, he he tells him he's like, "What you did, it's not brave. It's selfish. You left your post. You were only thinking about you. This isn't about glory. That's not what war is about." Yeah. Um, and he's like, "You know, again, I think it's that that idea one more time of like, it's not about you. It's about us." Right. Um, and you know that happened in the uh in the little shed where he shaved his head it's not about me and my honor it's about saving this child and helping these people once again it's not about you stop thinking about you you're gonna actually we're gonna lose this war if we think about you we gotta think about all of this and he's like you know he's suddenly like well why wouldn't you be happy that i got this well look what happened that's why you know we've got to be really careful and he's and he keeps emphasizing like it takes all of us and i think that comes up a lot when the uh, farmers sometimes they're like well i'm out of here you know i'm just going to go um, <laughs> this isn't this is not working out i'm going to leave and then they chase him back and says you know he's like nobody leaves we're all you know we're all doing this so i feel like that that theme of like you have to keep everybody else's benefit in mind at all times you cannot focus on you he says that he's like if you focus on you and protecting yourself you're going to die yeah (laughs) and you know um when that was a really good scene too because you're right like the farmer drops his spear leaves gathers up the other farmers in the outlying houses that have been deemed sacrificed and they're all going to go and pretend, you know, protect their own village. And the leader is like, oh, no, nobody – you <laughs> you have paid me to come here and save all of your lives. None of you get to leave this. No, you're all staying right in here. And he, you're right. He chases them down. And that farmer that, that, that was convinced, he later on becomes the proponent for unity because mm-hmm. he sacrificed his house for unity – and he badgers all the other farmers to stay united in this effort. When other farmers are thinking about doing stuff for themselves, he's the one that's going around saying, no, you have to you have to do this. And I think subtext, I lost my house for unity. You are going to, you know, you're going to shape up because I've sacrificed for this and I'm not going to let you now, you know, uh, leave um, or, or, or not, not uh, guard your post appropriately. Yeah, and I feel that it deeply contrasts with the enemy, who we see a window into what's going on with them. They lack unity, and they're constantly thinking about leaving. And the only thing keeping them there is that their leader will literally kill you yes. um, if you don't stay. So it's not like they're motivated to stay there. Right. <laughs> they're just sort of hoping that maybe at some point they can escape 
Um, and I think that sets them up to fail. You know, using fear to unify everybody doesn't really work effectively. Their leader is not as good as Kambe at unifying. Yeah, at yeah, all. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he's a thug, and and <laughs> and and eventually, like, oh man. And there's so many scenes where like the farmers get a hold of one of the bandits, and it's always bad. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh man, that's gonna be a slow death. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I have a random question about the bandits. Mm. Okay. And this is, again, coming from a place of ignorance, but are the bandits just other samurai that lost their, you know, that they're are kind of in the same situation as our heroes? Oh, you know, that's a really good point. Cause two of the leader bandits have like full great armor, like full, yeah. like samurai armor with big helms and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then there's a bunch of like just dirty dudes with swords. Um, <laughs> um, and I think that there is some of that. I think that, you know, there's so many, um, I took a Japanese history course in college and the, the instructor kind of impressed upon me that whenever Japan goes through a big cycle of war, there's all these samurai just around with nothing to do. Kind of like mercenaries, I they guess. Be, yeah. I mean, they kind of become like, they're really good at killing. They're not great at anything else. Um, so what you do with those guys and like in the past, Japan, when it was unified and had like a glut of samurai, they would just be like, Oh yeah, let's go try and conquer Korea. And like, they would just send their samurai over to Korea to try and take over Korea just cause they had all these samurai. Um, and I, I'm grossly simplifying uh, Japanese history here. Um, but, <laughs> okay. but I think that that's, I think that you're right that some of these bandits are samurai with no other prospects and other bandits are like um you know farmers and stuff who have lost things and found their way to banditry um or maybe there were farmers that lost their village and ended up with a bandit group you know but like nobody grows up thinking i'm gonna be a bandit you know like <laughs> they they got there through whatever series of unfortunate events and True. some of them are really scary. Like the two big guys on the ho on the horse with the big helms, those guys were really lethal. Um, mm -hmm. But a bunch of the other dudes were just not. They were just, you know, kind of kind of run of the mill swordsmen. In our two main leaders, like the main good leader and the bad guy leader, they never like meet meet, right? No, um, Mufun kills the main bad guy leader. Yeah, but I just think that's interesting because normally, at least stories the way we're used to, um, they would meet somehow and there'd be like a big, you know, dumb fight between them. But I like that there's not. E either there's a big dumb fight or it's like in the movie Heat where they sit down for coffee and like mean mug <laughs> each other for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I agree. Like they never had that like satisfying leader versus leader moment. Um, but they're not like, oh, I know you. You were a warlord. Yeah, like, no, that's, yeah, that's true, and I, and that's okay. You know, I think it's good because I feel like the bad guy isn't necessarily even him. I think that if they did meet, it would put the focus too much on their leader. Yeah, which is not really the bad guy. Of the film, it's like them as a whole is a bad guy, not one guy. I yeah. don't know. Maybe, no, I yeah, think maybe that's why they don't ever square off yeah and they don't yeah. really give any of the bandits i don't even think that any of them have names um yeah they don't have like characteristics really yeah like there's except the, for the 
there's like the guy with the eye patch. Like you kind of know the two main bandit leaders because of they're the ones in the big armor, but you never really get to know them. Um, right, they're not humanized in any way at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the uh, one thing about the final fight that I love, oh, I love it, is it's like torrential downpour rain the entire time. And like there are times where you're seeing all these actors or samurai and, and, and farmers and all this stuff, guys on horses and they're like running and stopping and running and there's like just this swash pit of mud everywhere and it's like god this is so desperate and mucky and just a ugh, just a dirty way to die and i really love that about the kind of tension that he builds with the rain in the end of yeah like, it's, it, it, it just, adds instant emotion yeah yeah the, it adds a layer of emotion a filter that the movie's under and it, it's intentional like he that was kind of one of his signature moves was to use the weather and oh nice even the scene with the uh with the dirt mound, uh, with the burial scene and all that wind whipping through it. I mean, there's just a lot of moments. When I was watching this movie at first, I was kind of like, was this like them having to work around real rain? But no, it's like he puts this stuff in his films intentionally because it does add, it escalates the situation. I mean, it's like what worst thing could happen? <laughs> they have this big battle and it's terrible. Um, but it, it adds to the emotional weight of the scene and uh, it's really effective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love it. It's, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I mean, they don't have a lot of tools back then, but God, he uses all the tools he has. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, I, I really like it. Um, oh, I did. Did you notice when um, it was the, like the night before the big fight, the farmers do bust out like good sake and fine food yes. and, 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 <laughs> and, and Kimbe or Kambe or, or Kimbe, he's like, Mifun was right. These sneaky guys do have <laughs> lots of good food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they spent a lot of time, you know, saying they're so sorry and they just don't have anything. And like, I'm eating millet just so you can eat this. So, I mean, we, this is all we got. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, uh, let's party, you know, because yeah. they're kind of like, this might be last night, like time to break out the hidden stocks of yeah. stuff. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. He was, like, I do like that. he was just like, man, these guys do have way more than they thought. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> these wily farmers or farmers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of points in the movie where they sort of break the tension. Like they give you a really tough scene. They give you a little break. And I think it's so well used in this film. The fact that he was able to put so many elements, you know, a romance, comedy, uh, you know, some really poignant moments too, um, and great action. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And um, we, we had talked earlier about the horses in these fights and oh yeah you're gonna talk about the injuries yeah so like one like mifun's character gets stuck with like the naughty mule that's like really tough to work with um and there's yeah. a couple of scenes where he's chasing that horse i'm like oh man like i've been around horses before and they don't some of them don't put up with the kind of stuff that mifun was doing um so like he, he <laughs> they, they either had a very docile horse or he was very familiar with that animal because he's like throwing stuff at the horse and chasing after it behind it i was like oh man i know horses that kick you for that um so yeah. um and then in the big fights they've got all these farmers with spears and spears are scary to horses like no oh, sure. no horse is gonna be like yeah exactly no horse is cool with this <laughs> um 
And there's moments where like horses are running through the lines of people like, oh, there's one where two horses get through, they fight down in the center of town, kill some farmers, and one of the horsemen makes a break for it back out. And when he's making a break for it back out, you totally see one of the farmers get body checked by the horse and like thrown to the ground. Oh my God. And it's like, dude, that actor did not show up the next day. There's no way after getting hit by a, you know, a a 1200 pound beast, you know, like, um, there was a lot of that in the movie. Like you just see several moments where actors, even the mainline samurai actors are like throwing their arms out in front of a charging horse to like get it to stop. And like all of them were at risk of damage and harm from those horses. And the horses were all at risk of harm too. Like I just, you know, there wasn't CG back then. So all of that was practical. All of that was real. Um, Yeah, there's definitely a feeling of panic in all those scenes, which I guess is good. But in a way, it's like it's bad because I'm sure everyone was scared to death filming that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, I know there are ways to train horses to like fall back on their hind legs and stuff like you see a couple of times where horses do that. Um, And so like I imagine that those horses were, were well trained, but like definitely there are some scenes in this movie that would not happen today with live horses. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they had the sensitivity back then no. uh, to care about what would ha- might potentially happen to one of these horses. Yeah, no, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, horses back then were labor animals. You know, they, they weren't uh, majestic beasts that we fawned over. They were like, we really put them to hard work. Um, and so it was just a different, you know, it was just, it was a different time, different sentiments back then, but yeah, there's some, there are some shots in there. I was like, Oh dude, that guy totally got taken out by horse. Um, cool. (laughs) And they kept it. Um, like there's a, there's a period where one of the bandits falls off the horse and ends up under the horse. They kept that shot in the movie. I was like, Oh, I do not want to be that guy. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Hopefully he just had like a close call, you know, hopefully he's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do know that this movie, like it wound up going four times over the budget (laughs) and it took the production stretched onto 148 days of shooting. I have no doubt. I mean, you can tell watching it. First of all, the whole movie is long, Yeah. right? I mean, three hours and 26 minutes is nothing to, you know, yeah say that it's like shorter no. like it's it's a long movie to begin with there's so many extras 101 extras or something like that i said earlier yeah. um and then all these animals oh yeah i'm sure they're not predictable and, and, um, and then they have all these kids yeah. and kids waste film like nobody's business so they had all <laughs> these kids begging for food and playing around with mafoon and it's like oh my god akira like their production team must have been pulling their hair out of you know, like, all right, that was a yeah. whole day wasted. <laughs> we got to do it all I over mean, again. Four times. Yeah. It's like if that had failed, you know, Akira Kurosawa wouldn't, would not have had a career. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. So, no, yeah. that, that is for certain. Um, but uh, fortunately he didn't, uh, he was able to put together a really incredible movie, but yeah, it's like when they were doing that stuff, like, I've put together a shot list for like a student film and I'm like, yeah, no way. Like that was so ambitious. I, I can't even conceive of how somebody would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do this. 
That's a good idea. So you're saying you didn't make full-scale paintings God. of all your storyboards? <laughs> no. God, no. <laughs> I had stick figures and arrows. Like <laughs> I, I would read that he was like a, a trained painter and that he would actually do that, like full-scale paint, which I believe because the level of detail that he puts into his movies is insane. But but yeah, I, I mean, when you think of storyboards or think of what you're talking about, like stick figures, not full-scale paintings, it just... He was extra, man. He just he 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 went the full mile. Well, like he, yeah. and there is a strategy. So so I did hear there's a strategy about doing really high detail um, storyboards. Is that it's a good way to get oh, money because oh okay because it's an ad yeah yeah you're like hey yeah. money man look at how beautiful this is gonna be and then we're gonna show from this shot to this and there's gonna be this raging horse and a guy on the thing with the rifle and it's like cool I will give you money. Because this looks awesome. Ah, that makes total sense. But if David showed up and with stick figures, like- they'd be like, no, I'm not giving you money. <laughs> I'm having trouble picturing this, David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, and, and he like, I think they wanted him to film this on a lot. And he said, oh, wow. uh, no, um, it's not going to look good. Yeah. It's going to look like we're in a soundstage. So no, I want to build like a whole village on a peninsula or wherever he did it. Yeah. Um, and and that's why it looks so good. I mean, I think that's why it holds up. You don't you don't watch it and think, oh yeah, they're you, in a soundstage. Yeah, and you can totally yeah, see the steam of the painting. And all. I I agree. Like on location shooting a film like this is probably why it holds up because there's not a moment where I'm like, yeah, you gotta kind of ignore this part, guys, because you can tell they're totally <laughs> in a back lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Let's see what. What what scene should we talk about? I have I have an idea of a scene I want to talk about, but I don't know if it's going too far ahead. Oh no! I, go go for okay. it. Go for okay. it. Okay. So the next scene I want to talk about is uh, the one where um, so we established earlier. You and I talked about how some of the farmers had to completely give up their houses. They had to sacrifice them for the greater good um, because they just can't protect that far out. I mean, that was part of the strategy. If we make the area where we protect them a lot smaller. Um, that's what we have to do. Uh, and they know what that act is going to end up meaning is that the bandits, they're going to immediately start burning things down um, as a way to kind of scare them and say like, look, we're really doing it and you're not over here. So here we go. Well, they burn one of the houses and um, that house had an old man. Oh, the, um, the mill. His, yeah. Yeah. The mill. Yeah, that's right. It was a mill. Um, an old man, his, uh, no, was it his daughter or his son? I couldn't remember what the relationship was there, but one of them is his blood. Yeah. Brother. Yeah. So it was the, it was his offspring, their spouse and their child. Right. Or like right, a little right. baby. Yeah. Um, a little baby. And amidst all this craziness, you know, uh, I think it's Mifun's character, right? They're trying to, they're protecting his little post and um, the wife and the son go, you know, we could not get dad out of that house, essentially out of the mill. Um, He's still in there and now it's on fire. Like we're going to go get him. And he's like, no, we need to just leave, you know? And he's like, nope, we're going to get, he goes, fine, go ahead, go, go, go. And so that happens. And then a little bit later, um, everything's on fire everything's on fire and he's like oh no and he's like i okayed this basically so it's kind of my responsibility so he goes over there and he's trying to look for people and the rest of his little ragtag team is like no don't go in there like let's just I go think, i think the i think the lead the leader chases him and says don't do it but oh, he, but he follows he he follows mafoon but is like hey you not you need to not oh, okay, be here that's right. um 
Yeah, but yeah, oh, you're right. You're right. I love the scenes. I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Thank you for the the fact check. Because sometimes I'm like, I'll, I I haven't seen the movie. I think enough to remember every detail. So I really appreciate that actually. But um, so he he goes in and he comes out, and the only person that's left is the 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 daughter. Um, either daughter-in-law or direct daughter of the old of the old man and she's holding a baby and they're like okay let's get her out of here and she hands him the baby and then just like dies and it's a really heavy moment they're like how did she even make it this far because she was so injured that they i mean she shouldn't have been able to even make it out of the i I think the leader i think um uh, kembe even says what willpower like he's he is impressed with her fortitude to survive that mortal wound long enough to see to the safety of her child. Um, and I think if the scene like stopped there, that would be enough, you know, that that's a really heavy moment. But then when Mifun looks at the baby and he suddenly just breaks down and says, this is me, this is like exactly what happened to me. I mean, it's crazy all these years later, me watching it in my living room. I mean, that was a huge gut punch. I mean, this moving like moved me to tears. I, I really felt that and, scene. And I think one, I'm really glad that Kembe was the one to be there with him because Kembe really dismisses Mifun in the beginning and by the end does not dismiss Mifun, you know, because he's gotten to know who this guy really is. And it's such a heavy scene and it really speaks to the brutality of that time um, and how, you know, like, yeah, something bad happens to you, but. Also, entire families die with only their baby left. You know, like, like there's so much tragedy in this world. Um, and and it gives you context for why he's the yeah, way he is. He doesn't too. know his name. He doesn't. He in an earlier scene, he talks about not knowing his name. Um, and I, you know, like when I watched that scene early, I I really identified with Mifun. But now, like it's it's kind of corny to say this, but now that I'm a dad. I totally identify with the mom of like, like if I was, if I was bleeding out, I would absolutely do whatever I could to get my kid to somebody I thought was safe. Um, no matter what happened to me. And it's really interesting that like, now that I'm in a different place in my life, that scene has a very different impact for me. And like, I was really worried. Like when that kid was leaving into the, to go to the mill, I was like, don't do it. Don't you dare bring that baby out there. Like I it was just me. Like I was like, I would never do this. I kind of had that thought even without yeah, being totally. I was like, why would you take the baby yeah, as well? Yeah, totally. And it was just but, like, man, uh, that, that scene is a really good scene. I'm glad you brought it up. Cause it's, yeah, it's kind of meta too. I mean, it's weird. It's like it, the, it's a part of the movie that like almost feels surreal to me when he's like holding the baby and he's like, "This is me." It's like, whoa! Like it's just such a heavy moment for yeah. that. Yeah, no, and it's, um, it's that was a good one. I'm, 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 I'm glad you brought it up because I did have different feels about it this time than I have in the past, which was which was really cool. What's a? I think I I think I got my main ones out. What What are some of your other favorite ones? Um, you know the only other the only other thing I um um I really like is there is a farmer we haven't talked about much. The uh uh, uh Rikichi I think is his name. Rikichi uh, Rikichi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that guy, um, he. 
we find out throughout the movie his wife was stolen by bandits. Um, oh my gosh! Yes. Okay. There, go ahead. Sorry. There's a, there's a couple. There's there's a moment where he sees her at the bandit village, and it's heartbreaking oh. and, and all that stuff. Um, but my favorite moment with him, I mean, Rikichi is unhinged. This guy has he he knows the face of his enemy, and he is going insane. There's this moment where they're where they're chasing the bandits off of whatever structure Rikichi is 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 covering and he's like killing bandits climbing over the structure onto the bad side of the structure with more bandits killing them and then like dragging himself through this mud and muck to kill more bandits all by himself and it's like oh man dude you have had an awful life and you just all you see is red and there's just that character arc in general i really like in that moment when he's like completely uncorked and it isn't until he is confronted by one of the samurai that he finally starts to get himself back under control because he's mm-hmm. been a simmering pot this whole time throughout the whole movie. And you see him really finally let loose on people and it's kind of scary. Um, and I really, I really like that they went there with this guy and you saw him in a crazy state and yeah. where he's just got the bloodlust, you know? Um and I just I don't know like it's a it's a it's a good it's a good character arc and it and it has some really powerful moments just with the idea that you know he's he's got nothing else to lose. I thought it was so sad too when his wife you know they they do that sort of sneak attack on burning burning their lair down or whatever with all the bandits yeah um, and she notices it she's like the first one to know that that's happening. And she smiles like she's happy. And so you kind of think like, oh, okay, she's going to leave and run back into her husband's arms. But instead she goes back in and and dies. It's kind of like there's really no going back for her. I mean, she's been abused and, you know, taken and she just she can't see a way out at this point. It's not like she was going to be able to return to her life as she saw it, which is really devastating to her husband, because I think. I mean, that's such a lucky thing for him to like get her back. Um, it's just, it just heightens the tragedy, but she has such a small part, but man, her facial expressions and the way that she communicates without really ever saying anything is just, I thought it was a really powerful scene. Yeah. She was one of the few women in the movie that was super resolved. Um, mm-hmm. She really, like, you're right. She was looking at the fire going, oh, finally, these bastards are going to pay. Yeah. She's like the exact opposite of Sheena. Yeah. 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 And then and then she comes out and she sees her husband and she's like, Oh God. Like you can kind of sense the feeling. She's like, Why are you here? I'm gonna yeah, She's I'm, like, I can't come back. Yeah. I, I just can't. Yeah, exactly. And she goes and kills herself, which also, you know, famously Japanese culture really worshipped death and romanticized death so it makes sense that you know in 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 a modern american society is like no don't be dumb get back out here like <laughs> but yeah. but in that culture at that time it's like no that's you 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 don't return to your family after going through what she obviously went through um, yeah yeah and yeah she had to buy by their you know uh, cultural principles at the time had to go back into that burning building Oh man. But yeah, I, I do like that scene. That's, I was glossing over it earlier, but that specific moment was really good. Really good. Um, so my only other scene is the very end. Um, when, 
uh, when uh, um, oh the leader uh, Kimbe is like wrapping it all up is the the last line in the movie. That's my only oh, other thing. Yeah. Do, do you have any other scenes before we talk about that one? Well, I guess we already kind of talked about as everything is sort of settling down. I think Shino and uh, her boyfriend's sort of departure that that moment where they they both realize that they can't exist in the same space yeah. and be part of the same world like this whole thing was temporary you know all they're working together all right. of this strategic planning and and being a part of a big family it, it was never meant to last it's going to end right and i thought it was interesting so at the end of the movie there's only three left right it's the uh it's uh the the leader yep. uh the young guy and the, and, and the the leader's old friend um that's right which I think, who was with him in the beginning yeah which i think yeah. is gordo bay um g-o-r-o-b-e-i i think that was the one who yeah. made it to the end and okay. and and again like um some of my favorite movies have like broken down old survivors and both kim bay and gordo bay are broken down old survivors like yeah, it's kind of cool that it's not like the youngest or most fit or whatever right. make it to the end. Only one. I mean, I think they they threw us a bone in this movie. They gave us the one young guy like, don't worry, like it's not a bleak future. The young person is gonna live. Like, yeah, you know, but, but otherwise it'd be a little devastating. I think. Yeah, but but he is clearly changed and more yeah. wizened now. But yeah, you're right. It's like if he also died, it'd be like, man. <laughs> There's just no hope. Yeah. yeah. I think that, uh, you know, his character arc was just growing up. It was learning that I think, you know, the leaders kept trying to tell him, like, mm-hmm. this seems really awesome to you, but it has a cost. Yeah. You know, you've never taken a life. It's that whole thing that you see in a lot of, you know, in Tombstone. We talked about Tombstone a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, you know, that he's that character that's like doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. And yeah. I think we as the audience don't either. So we're kind of along the ride with him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, I, I like how at the end those three are left. You know, and, it's just interesting. And we see his first kill and he is really shooken by it. Um, so you're absolutely mm-hmm. right that like all of that comes with a cost and he thought it was going to be this big romantic thing. And they're like, no, nah, man. <laughs> Yeah, in a way, it's kind of like he and that girl are the romantic characters mm-hmm, in the movie that mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this is, but it's not really about them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think that they learn that hey, this isn't about us. This isn't about you, and this is definitely not how it is. It's not right. you know the way that you view it. So I think that's just like a cool part of the the film. Yeah, but you were talking about the the final um, scene. So so in the end, um, um the the leader his friend and the the young samurai the three of them are there at the bottom of the burial mound and this burial mound folks if you haven't seen it is giant it's like it's like yeah. i mean it is it's another character in the movie in a way that it's like so big it's bigger than all of them right death looms over all and it's huge and it's ever present you can see it in so many of the shots um but he says uh, again we are defeated and the two samurais look at him. He's like, "What do you mean? We won. We beat back the you know. You can see it on their faces. Like we beat back the the bandits. What are you talking about?" And he says, "The the winner are the farmers, not us." And then yikes, you know, you pan up and there's four dead samurai, but the village survived. But four samurai, and some of them were some of the best samurai. Like that duelist was probably one of the best samurai in the area. You know? Oh yeah, when he when he goes, that's a that's a rough scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Exactly. And it's like, yeah, no, the samurai lose so that the farmers can win. And it's kind of beautiful and it's sad and it really, I think, does a good job of summing up the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, That, yeah, there are winners and losers and the heroes are going to lose a lot so that the people that they are being heroes for don't lose. Um, yeah, and it's it's good. Like I, I I like it. It's sad, but it's it's such a it's such a poetic way to to kind of end that movie. Oh, totally agree. Before we wrap up, and I ask you my last two questions, I totally forgot to mention uh, David W, who goes by uh, Vermouth nineteen ninety one on Twitter. He wanted me to make sure to mention that I don't know if you caught this, but there's no metallic sound effects when someone draws. Out, <laughs> yeah. The whole movie. yeah, no, which is probably more realistic. Yes. it's not like you would hear ding, ding, ding yeah. constantly. Yeah, no, no sword and clashing, that, just just straight yeah. up quiet death. Yeah, and that's yeah, it almost adds gravity. It definitely makes it feel more real, mm-hmm. um, more authentic. So that's yeah, that's he just you wanted to point that. That's out. awesome, and um, th- I do want to mention this movie after it came out was so well received by American filmmakers that, you know, obviously there's been several spinoffs like Magnificent Seven and all of that kind of stuff. The first iteration of Magnificent Seven was part of one of Hollywood's revival periods. So when Hollywood goes through ups and downs, um, and it certainly had a down period before freaking Marvel came, you know, lately has has shown up to really (laughs) bolster Hollywood. Um, And there was a time in the past when, when Hollywood was really uh, going down downhill, they remade Seven Samurai as Magnificent Seven, and that was one of the movies that rekindled kind of Hollywood's mojo. Um, mm. And you know he's credited by many filmmakers as a as a as a big inspiration. And you've seen Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai in lots of other films since then. As sure. you know, motley crew of warriors that have banded together to go deal with stuff. Like even Game of Thrones has this kind of seven samurai moment with the with all the guys that go beyond the wall that's like this really ragtag yeah. team and they kind of shouldn't like each other. All of that, you know, there's just so much inspiration that this movie kind of kindles that's that's just really cool. And I, I like seeing themes from this movie show up in other movies down the road and it's 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 really cool. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, we just talked about Tombstone and I feel that presence. Sure. You know, I feel his presence in that movie um, or, or even like m- more recently, The Hateful Eight, you know. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of that. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and definitely Tarantino freaking loves Akira yeah. and is oh. like, oh, yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> There's that is no secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, this brings me to my last couple of questions then. Um what com- what keeps you coming back to this movie? So one of the things, like, I... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a heavy question. Yeah, so this movie for me was one of the first movies that really broke me out of American films as my only experience and and really ushered me into that that foreign films with subtitles are great and that they that it really opened the door for me and for that i'm kind of forever thankful to this movie um oh for sure yeah and and it helps that it's still a really decent movie to watch like it's slower than modern movies but it 
it still is good. Like I still enjoy it as I watch it. And um, so I'm, I'm also thankful to that. But first and foremost, that it really opened my eyes to the the joy that can come from seeing live action movies from other countries. Um, I was already into anime, but but definitely <laughs> seeing that, oh, wow, no, there's so many foreign films out here. If this one is good, there's got to be more. And it really opened my eyes to that. I'm always shocked when I run into a movie fan that doesn't watch foreign cinema. I'm, I'm like, hey, you're missing out. Yeah. There's a lot out oh. there. You're, you're completely closing the door on so many incredible films. I mean, I remember, you know, when The Departed came out, yeah. my first thought when that came out was like, well, I already saw the good one, <laughs> Infernal Affairs. I mean, that sounds so ridiculous and arrogant now, but I, you know, I was like, I was like, I've already seen that movie. Yeah. And people were shocked by that. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, this is a movie, Infernal Affairs, which I actually prefer Infernal Affairs. Mm-hmm. Might be because I saw it first. But it's it's a great movie. Um, but yes, a lot of times I think American audiences are quick to see the American remake and they don't go see the original. They're kind of like, oh, now the good directors got oh, God. Um, No, yeah. that could not be further. Yeah. I wouldn't say further from the truth. I, I would, I'm not trying to disrespect any of the you know, great directors that have remade some of these movies. Um, but you should go back to the source material. Yeah. It's going to open your your world. And sure, there's going to be some cultural nuances that we don't necessarily pick up on. Sure. It might be a good time to t- do a little research, you know, and, <laughs> and find out a little bit more. Um, you, you could only benefit from learning, right? So, yeah. no, I, I totally agree with you. I don't know that it was one of the first subtitled movies that I'd seen, but it definitely um, gives you a great appreciation for you know, film as an art form. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is incredible. And I think you've heard me whine a bunch of times on this show, uh, just based on some of the movies we picked. I don't like when movies are too fast. Yeah. <laughs> I like when they take their time and really make you think and you walk away with all these concepts. He's able to put so much into one film. And yeah, uh, yeah. I will say this movie is dense. Um, and and there's, de- there's <laughs> details in here that if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss. And I, I agree. Like I really like movies that have that density that there's, the scene is not written and then they do this thing. It's okay. This happens, but this character does this thing. And this other guy does the other thing. And that density of action all within the same shot is really kind of cool. And like one of the things about Akira in this movie is from a filmmaking perspective, he doesn't ever do the forced focus where there's only one thing you can see in focus. He lets you see the entire scene and there's all kinds of stuff going on. That's telling you about, you know, the, the atmosphere and the characters and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just, it's just one of those things that like this movie specifically is, is pretty dense, especially for the time. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one that you, you kind of have to pay attention to, which can turn some people off, but man, if you do, it's, it's, it's worth it. It's rewarding. Right. Um, there's another, uh, video that I want to share. I'll put it in the group and in the show notes, I'm trying to look it up really quick. Uh, about blocking and and how mm. how he uses blocking um, to tell a story and to frame a scene so that even when there's a bunch of stuff happening happening in the scene he's able to get your attention to exactly where he needs it to go within the scene yes. and accomplish like a lot at once um, yeah and, and it's really incredible. And, and folks um, blocking is the idea of I have I have a I have a scene I have stuff in the room and then I have actors. Where are my actors going to stand? Where is the stuff in the scene in relation to everybody? So it's kind of like, you know, how are you going to set up the shot? 
and and then what are they going to do within that shot? And that's all the that's what blocking means whenever we say that stuff. Oh, for sure. And you know, it originated with with theater. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you watch a theater play, um, they that the blocking is extremely important because there's not a camera to take shortcuts right. and you know <laughs> zoom in on things. So yeah, um, you know, it's challenging to do that in film without. I think being lazy with it and like, you know, just going, look at this cup, yep. look at this guy, you yep. know, it's kind of, how do you direct focus, but also use the camera lens in order to, to sort of uh, empower that as well. And uh, let's see, Oh, it's called composing movement. I, I believe oh, yeah. um, I'll share it in, in the group. It's, it's also by every frame a painting, which is like uh, all the videos I share all the they're time. They're so good. There's, I mean, there's a reason <laughs> you share them because they're so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, my last question is, how do you pitch this movie to someone that's never seen it before? Oh, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I have pitched this movie in the past as, do you want to see a Western with a really cool twist? Um, because a lot of people know Westerns, but uh, even today, people might not like Westerns because of some of the uh, social components around the Western situation. But if I say, look, this is actually a samurai movie, but it takes the Western style, um, that, that, that kind of wins some people over. And really, it's just a, such an epic fantasy, um, or uh, such a, not, not epic fantasy. It's such a, it's such an epic story that has so many things going on. It's easy for me to say, oh, do you like this? There's totally that in this movie. <laughs> There's so many things. I mean, like, do you like, um, you know, realistic love affairs? This movie has one of those. You know, do you like these? And it just has something for everybody in there. And it's it's pretty easy to kind of tailor the pitch to to the person. Gotcha. I got to correct myself. The three, bil- uh, three brilliant moments of blocking was by Cinefix. Oh. And I'll share that um in our group and then the other one that i was talking about that was akira kurosawa composing movement every frame of painting and that one focused a little more on the weather and things like that nice um that i had talked about earlier so sorry about that um i will share that in the group uh i guess my pitch is this is one of the best movies of all time it's in the criterion collection for a reason that's the version that i saw when i watched this movie Um, and you just, you can't skip this movie. If you love film, you have to see it. Um, and it holds up. It it doesn't matter what the runtime is. It's an incredible story. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I think you need to see it. Yeah. And (laughs) that's it. I just like, I completely agree with you. Like that's a, that's a great pitch. And you know, there's just something about, um, I, I find that there's something freeing in seeing a foreign film. That because I don't have like cultural, like intimate cultural triggers within myself when I'm watching something like this, I could, I get to kind of see it from a, uh, I don't know, like a 10,000 foot view. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that, that allows me to see things that I think I would have otherwise missed. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, David, we didn't talk about this for three hours and 20 minutes somehow. <laughs> we've, 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 we've finally gotten underneath the runtime of the movie in our discussion. Right. I know. Normally we meet the exact runtime or we exceed it. But somehow we are at two hours. Yeah. Not that I'm complaining. Those are some of my, my favorites. Like I said, I, I love to talk movies and they're, it's awesome. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm still, I'm like, man, we made, we, we got this down. I, I, that's a feat. Yeah. This, there's a lot to cover. 
film. Well, and I have to thank you for letting us get so deep with this. You know, I mean, that's part of your oh, style sure. is to say, like, let's let's spend the time to invest in getting deep with something like this. And a, a movie like this, you really can't, or rather, glossing over it would be a real disservice. Um, and, oh, for sure. And, and I think anyone listening, if we did that, would be upset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if we if we did this, if we wrap this up in thirty minutes, people are are gonna say. Did you watch it? Or yeah. What happened there? <laughs> yeah. Did, did you cliff notes this? Um, yeah. The, the, um, you know, and there's scenes we didn't talk about that are great. Um, so like right. even yeah, the stuff we talked about is great, but there's even more in there that we didn't talk about. That's phenomenal to watch. Yeah. So David, uh, thank you so much for coming back. It's been a while. I thought about that recently. I was going back through like my top, uh, five from last mm. year that we did. Yeah. And I was like, I need to make sure that I've had everybody, back and i think i may have had you back since then but if i have it's been a long time yeah it's right? been a while since we talked i think we did gattaca yeah. last and then yeah that's and right. now this one um i really want to my next one um whenever you're ready for me to come back i really yeah. want to do some documentaries with you oh, okay yeah definitely we that's something we haven't broached yeah yet. There's um, a, I just got really too excited about the character. Oh, totally. Salad. No, I, yeah, I backed that play 100%. Um, there's two documentaries that I would love to share with you and talk about that are phenomenal and super influential. Um, and you know, we'll get into that later whenever, whenever we're ready to go down documentary lane. Okay. Shoot those over to me because I'm going to make a note of it Sweet. so I don't forget. Sweet. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, David, where can people find you? Oh yeah. Um, so everyone who wants to kind of check out my my show about gaming and tabletop and all that kind of stuff, we are High Shelf Gaming, which is at High Shelf Gaming on Twitter. There's a Facebook page, Facebook group. We have a Discord. Um, we, we have all kinds of stuff for people to connect with us. Just just Google the name High Shelf Gaming and you're going to find us. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, tune, tune in if you want to hear about board games and role-playing games because that's what we like to talk about. It's awesome. I highly recommend Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time out to discuss this movie, and I guess I'll I'll catch you next yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much again. You, you, this has been awesome. 